Good morning, church family, and thanks for joining us again on another Sunday morning. We are so happy that you can connect with us this way. On a personal note, before I get into the message, I just, I just want to say a really uh, huge thanks to each and every one of you. Laura and I have felt so blessed and loved uh, these past number of weeks as we got married about a month or so ago. And just the, the love that you have shared with us has meant so much to us. Uh, although we weren't able to have the wedding that we originally envisioned, we were happy that we were still able to get married in a very small uh, way and uh, celebrate our union together. So thank you so much for all your love and prayers and support. It means so much to us. As we continue on in our series today from the book of 1 Peter, uh, we are looking and studying about this letter that Peter wrote to a whole bunch of churches that were actually going through uh, times of suffering and persecution and trials. And it's something that we can learn from uh, when we go through hardships and difficulties. Uh, in this portion of scripture uh, that was already read for us, uh, we're going to look at two things that are really important that Peter is emphasizing. And one is holiness and the other is love. And we can see how they are also both connected together. Peter here reminds his readers that we are called to live a holy life. We are called to holiness. And it's something that's really important for each and every one of us and was important in Peter's day that he decided to emphasize this aspect of the Christian life uh, during this portion of scripture. Now, sometimes we might look at uh, holiness or holy life and we think about those words like purity and sanctification. And sometimes we might look a little bit down on that and think that people that use those type of words are people that exalt themselves above others, that consider themselves elitist and really not something that we can attain. But the beauty of this passage is that God calls us to a holy life, not because of who we are, but actually because of who he is. And we can hold on to his promises and trust that he will do that work in our lives. In the Old Testament, the word for holy is kadosh, which means sacred or set apart. In the New Testament, the Greek word that's used is hagios, which also means pure and sacred, morally blameless and consecrated. And so in these days, I really believe God is calling us to a holy life. He's calling us to be set apart, to be pure, to be sanctified, to live a consecrated life. And it's not really by what we do, although there's a role for us. But more than that is what he does for us. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's able to change us and transform us. So uh, I'd like to study sort of uh, this portion of scripture in two parts. The first part is talking about where our calling to holiness or our calling to holy living is rooted in. And the second part is the result or the fruit of that type of holy living. And so Three things that I'd like to emphasize that our calling to holiness is rooted in. The first thing is that it's rooted in the character of God. The second thing is that it's rooted in the sacrifice of Jesus. And the third thing is that it's rooted in the hope of the coming of the Lord, the hope of Jesus's return. So let's dive right in into these three things. The first thing is that our calling to a holy life or our calling to holy living is rooted in the very character of God. See, God's character is holiness. God's character is purity. It's something special. 
Uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see that there were times when words were repeated. For example, Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you. There are times in the Old Testament when visions or dreams were repeated, and it meant that it was something sure and steadfast and confirmed. But when we talk about God's character and specifically the holy nature of his character, he's known as the, the God who is holy, holy, holy. Isaiah had a vision of this and he saw uh, the angels and they were singing holy, holy, holy. In the book of Revelation, we see the same thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so for it to be mentioned three times makes this aspect of God's character, of God's holiness, something beautiful and amazing and set apart really from everything else because he mentions it, that he's the holy, holy, holy Lord Almighty, and it's something beautiful and amazing. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16, we read, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. See, this calling to holiness, this calling to holy living is rooted in the fact that God is holy, is rooted in the fact of God's very distinct and unique character. Now, God is not asking us to do something that he himself is not doing. God is not asking us to do or be something that he himself is not. Actually, God is asking us to be like him. Isn't that an amazing calling? Isn't that an amazing thing that he's uh, asking us to do? And it's not that he's just saying, okay, Daniel, go and be holy. No, he's inviting us into relationship. He's inviting us into covenant. He's inviting us into a place where he's working in our life and he is the one that's doing that work in us. And so the burden is not upon us solely. No, it is God that's working in us because of his nature, because of his character. That's why in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, it says that the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him. We are changed into his glorious image. See, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that's transforming us into the very nature and image and character of God. God's calling to a holy life is rooted in his character, and he changes us by his spirit into that. God is the eternal God, and he's calling us to be like him. That is such an amazing plan and purpose that he has for our lives. But let me tell you, Let's not take it as a, as a command or let's not take it as something like do this or else. No, let's take it as a promise from the Lord. When he says, be holy for I, the Lord, am holy. Let's take it as a promise. God wants to make us holy because he is holy. God wants to change us through his spirit because he is holy. When we read those verses, let's take it as a promise to us that he's calling us to holiness, and it's a promise that he will do it. The second thing is that our calling to holiness is rooted in the sacrifice of Jesus. Again, here in 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 18 and 19, it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere silver and gold, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. A couple verses down in verse 22, it says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. See, Jesus came into this world and died on the cross in order to redeem us, to forgive us of our sins. 
he gives us an opportunity to enter into a relationship with him. If you're watching today and you've never uh, come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to accept Christ, to hear and listen more. We would love to have a conversation with you. We would love to connect with you if you want to know more. Because Jesus is calling us not just to a holy life, but into a relationship with him. He died to redeem us. He died to forgive us. He died to give us new life. And so when it comes to sanctification, there's actually, or holy living, there's actually two things that we can talk about. One is called positional sanctification. The other is called progressive sanctification. And these two things are really important. And as we understand that our calling to a holy life is rooted in the sacrifice of Jesus, it's rooted in this fact of positional sanctification. We're not holy or pure because of what we've done. We're holy and pure because of what Jesus has done. As we accept his free gift of eternal life, as we accept him as our Lord and our Savior, and, and we say, Lord, I need you. I want you to forgive me of, of my sins. What we are in God's sight as we become children of God is holy. That's why in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. This is positional sanctification. Just for the very fact of us committing our lives to Christ and saying, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, he looks down upon us and says we are holy. We are sanctified because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, in a progressive way, we'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but in a progressive way, there is progressive sanctification because we still falter and fail. We still have faults. We still have sins. We still do things and we mess up. But that's why we can come to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. That's why we can come to the Lord and ask for his grace. That's why in Romans chapter 7, we see the struggle that the Apostle Paul had. It was something real to him. He knew that he was a saint of God. He knew that in God's eyes, he was a child of God and he was holy. But at the same time, he struggled with sin. At the same time, this great Apostle Paul, who we look up to now and who wrote so many letters and so many books of the Bible... We see in, in chapter 7, verse 15 of Romans, he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. See, Paul had this struggle. I want to do what's right, but instead I'm doing actually what I hate. There was a struggle there. And so he needed to continually come to God for grace, come to Jesus for forgiveness. And this is progressive sanctification as God works in us as we put off the, the old nature and the sins and the, the evil things. We'll get to this later on as Paul, uh, Peter talks about this in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 19 of Romans 7, Paul says again, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. The struggle was real for the Apostle Paul. But later on, he says, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, because I have victory through my Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can come to Jesus because of what he's done. Our holy life, our holy calling is rooted in the fact that Jesus died for us. It's rooted in the fact that Jesus sacrificed his life for us. We are positionally sanctified. When God looks down upon us, he says, this is my child, a holy child of God. But God also realizes that we can come to him and repent and ask him, Lord, forgive me for my failure. Forgive me for my fault. Forgive me for my sin. 
we come to his throne of grace. In the book of Hebrews, we read that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. The third thing here that our calling, our, call, our holy life calling is rooted in is the hope of Jesus's return. First Peter chapter one and verse 13 to 15 says, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So then, or therefore, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You don't know any better. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. So here, Peter says, look, there is a hope that we have. Jesus is coming soon. So because of that hope, live as obedient children. Because of that hope, don't fall back into those old desires. Don't fall back into that other way of life. But live in obedience to God. You know, one thing that's really overlooked in, in, in Christianity today, uh, in the church world today, is the hope of Jesus' return. Maybe that's not talked about a lot. But when Jesus left this world, the angels were there and they said, Jesus is coming back the same way that he left. And so the early disciples, they lived with that expectancy. They lived with that hope. Peter lived with that hope that the same Jesus that he walked with and talked with and lived with for, for three plus years, he was going to return for him. And that's a hope that changed Peter. That's a hope that caused Peter to live a holy life. And in the same way, he gives that exhortation, that encouragement in this letter as he's writing to all of these churches and say, look, Jesus is returning for us. Let's live a holy life. Jesus is coming back for us. Let's live a life that's pleasing to him. It's very difficult sometimes for us to see into the future, to, to look into something that's going to happen. I don't know how many of you saw uh, this documentary that came out about the about uh, Michael Jordan called The Last Dance, and it talked a little bit about his whole, uh, his whole career, and especially that last season with the Chicago Bulls when they won their sixth championship. Michael Jordan is, is considered arguably the greatest basketball player that lived. But before he actually became famous in the NBA, he was a good college star. A lot of these athletes, they signed these shoe deals. Michael Jordan was in love with Adidas. He wanted to sign with Adidas for Adidas to be his shoe sponsor, but they weren't really willing. Finally, his agent flew him out to Nike and Nike offered this amazing proposal to him so that they could sponsor, sponsor him. And we know the ending of that story and how the Jordan brand lifted up the, the Nike brand to make billions of dollars, even till today, making so much money. But after Jordan heard the proposal from Nike, he went back to Adidas because he was in love with Adidas and said, look, can you match this? Can you do something similar to this? Do you know what they said? No. Probably one of the biggest business mistakes in history there. How much they lost out on because they weren't able to see into the future. They weren't able to see what this brand would have done for their company. In many ways, we live in the here and now, and that's important. But we also need to live with the vision of Jesus' second coming. We need to be confident in that second coming. Why is it so important? It's because when we trust and know that Jesus is coming, we also trust and know that he will fulfill his word. Philippians 1 in verse 6 says, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work 
until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. See, Paul is, is saying here, I am confident that God will finish his work until the day Jesus returns. And so the hope of the coming of the Lord is so important because it gives us promise, it gives us confidence in the promises of God. The hope of the coming of the Lord is so important because it gives us this assurance, this faith. God who spoke to me, God who gave me his word, will finish it, will accomplish it before Jesus returns. And that hope that Jesus is returning just gives us such a great confidence. That hope helps us to live a holy life. That hope helps us to live a pure life. That hope helps us to do God's will. First John chapter three and verse two and three, it says, dear friends, we are already God's children, but it has not yet shown us what we will be when Christ appears. He has not shown us what we will be when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation or all who have this hope, what do they do? Will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Let me encourage you today, Jesus is coming. And if Jesus is coming, that means he will fulfill his word. If Jesus is coming, he will fulfill his promises. The good word that he's spoken to you and to me, he will bring it to pass before the coming of the Lord. And so as we trust in his second coming, as we trust and hope in his word, we can have such faith and assurance. Our hope is not just in this life, but it goes beyond the grave in the life to come. First Peter chapter one and verse 23 says, for you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Because of the promises of God, God gives to us a hope of a life hereafter, a life beyond this grave. We need to look and see what is to come. We need to have a vision of Jesus's return for us and it'll help us to live this holy life. There's a story about a lady named Florence Chadwick and she was a long distance uh, swimmer. And actually she was the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions. In, in 1952, she attempted to swim from the Catalina Island to California, which was about 26 miles. And the, on that day, the waters were icy and cold, and there was a thick fog, and there were sharks in the water as well, too. Uh, it was a very challenging uh, swim. After about 15 hours, she was thinking about giving up because she couldn't see the end. Her, the people on the boat beside her were encouraging her to keep going. She, she went for almost another hour and then finally she decided, I can't do this anymore. And she came back into the boat. And when she got into the boat, she realized that she was so close. She was only about, uh, she was only about a mile away from the shore. And she said this, she said, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen the land, I might've made it. Because of the fog, the thick fog, she couldn't really see what was before her. Sometimes we as Christians, we're, we're living a life that's really foggy. We, we can't see ahead of us. We don't know what the future is, is there. And sometimes God doesn't choose to, God chooses not to reveal what's ahead of us. But one thing we can look forward to that he's already said in his word is that Jesus is returning for us. And with that hope, with that expectancy, we can look forward. And... Um, 
Florence Chadwick, she attempted. Uh, about two months later, she tried again. And this time she said, she said, I, I had a, a vision. I could see the, the shore. I had that in my mind. And she was able to swim across. And she did it a couple times after that as well. I want to encourage you today. Let's have a vision of Jesus. Let's have a vision of Jesus' return. Let's live with such a hope and such expectancy. Now, to part two of this message is, what is the result of this uh, holy life? What is the result of holy living? And I just want to emphasize two things very quickly. One is that the result of holy living is love. And number two, the result of holy living is a transformed life. So the first thing, the result or the fruit of holy living is love. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 and verse 22, you were cleansed from your sins. So we were forgiven. We were washed. We become holy when you obeyed the truth. So now, or therefore, because of that, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply within, with all your heart. You know, one of the biggest complaints that people have about Christians is hypocrisy. We live or we, we say one thing and, and live another way. We can claim to be holy and claim to be followers of Jesus and religious, but our works and our actions really don't show love the same way Jesus displayed for us and left as an example for us. We can have a form of religion and not really love people. And what God is calling us to in this life of holiness in this holy life is to produce this fruit of love. As we live a holy life, as God helps us and transforms us by his Holy Spirit, the fruit or result of that will be love. As we truly live that holy life, we will love others and that fruit will be seen in us. The mark of a true Christian is deep, sincere, and pure love. In these days where there's a lot of strife and hatred and so much that's going on in public discourse, I think we as Christians are called to display that love. We're called to display love and grace. And that, that starts in our life as we live in obedience to God, as we live a holy life. Let's not just say we're Christians and, and pretend to love others. Let's not just have a, a form of religion, but let's really display the love that God calls us to live. And it comes out of a holy life. Peter really emphasized this a lot, and he talked about this in his letter. It was something that was really important to him. Holiness and love, they, they go hand in hand. They're paired together. As, as we live this holy life, love will be produced. In a couple of chapters later, we'll see, but we'll read the verse today, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, most important of all. Now, now Peter's writing chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We get to chapter 4, and then he, he makes a statement. Most important of all. Here is the, the, the number one thing. The ending of that verse says, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers the multitude of sins. It's so interesting that, Jesus, that, that Peter uses these words. He says, most important of all, let's love one another deeply, sincerely. Let that be the fruit of our holy living. Peter emphasizes this throughout his letter. And he knew it because of the love he felt from Jesus so many times. The second thing is that the result of our holy living is a transformed life. See, after giving all of these exhortations and speaking about holy living, Peter talks about what we mentioned before, progressive sanctification, a, a transformation in our life that's important. 
So when we get to chapter 2, he starts off by saying in verse 1 and 2, so get rid of all evil behavior. After talking about holy living, after talking about love, after talking about all these things, who we are because of what Jesus has done for us, this positional sanctification, now he gets to this progressive sanctification and he says, get rid of all this evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. See, Peter wants these people that he's writing to to experience the fullness of salvation, not just because we're positionally sanctified and we are pure and holy in God's sight because of what Jesus did and because of the promises of God and because of the character of God and because of Jesus' coming again, but he wants us to grow in sanctification and to know the full experience of salvation in holiness and love. When we experience Jesus, there's a transformation. When we experience the Holy Spirit, there's a transformation. And no person knew this better than Peter. Peter was a fisherman. He had faults and failures left, right, and center. We can read about it through the Gospels. But when Peter met Jesus, he was transformed. What caused that fisherman who always stayed in the boat whenever he went fishing to say, Jesus, if you're calling me out on the water, then bid me to come and I will come. And that fisherman who always stayed inside the boat met Jesus and was transformed and he started walking on water to meet Jesus. What happened to that man, Peter, who had this revelation? He was just a fisherman, but God gave him this amazing revelation that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. When Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, Peter was radically transformed by an encounter with Jesus. When Jesus said, come and follow me, Peter left everything and he said, I'll follow you. But Peter still had his faults and failures. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples, Peter had another radical transformation because he encountered the Holy Spirit. And Peter preached a message and 3,000 people came and gave their lives to Christ. We see that man who was timid at times and fearful at times that denied Jesus the day that he was crucified. Now became a bold preacher of the gospel. We see this radical transformation that Peter had to declare the word of God. And friends, when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the Holy Spirit, there will be a radical transformation in our life. Oh, the fruit of a holy life is a transformed life. And no better person to speak to this than Peter. I want to conclude today by telling you a story of a man named Thomas Terence. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. Thomas Terence lived in Alabama in the 60s when racial uh, tension and segregation was at, at its highest. And there was a time uh, when they were trying to uh, desegregate and unite the races in schools. And, and Thomas Terrence, he was in school at that time, and he really despised that. He, he saw in his own school how they brought two young, young uh, girls into their school filled with thousands of white people as a symbol of, of desegre uh, desegregation. And he despised that. Thomas Terrence became a white supremacist. And he hated all that was going on. And so he joined the Ku Klux Klan as a white supremacist. And even more than that, he joined the, the white knights 
who was, they were probably one of the most feared and violent parts of the Ku Klux Klan. And it was terrible what Thomas Terrence got himself involved with, filled with hatred and rage and violence. One day he was, uh, he and another associate were going to plant a bomb for a Jewish business person. But the authorities had found out about it and set an ambush for them. And before the bomb could go off, they caught Thomas Terrence and they shot him and they shot his associate who also, who died. But miraculously, Thomas Terrence survived. He had four gunshot wounds and when he was brought to the hospital, the doctor said, you don't even have 45 minutes to live. But God showed mercy to him and he lived. He ended up going to jail and he was sentenced for 30 years. But then after that, he was still filled with so much hatred and rage that he decided that he needed to leave. And so he escaped with a couple other uh, inmates. A few days later, the FBI found out where they were. They tracked him down. And again, in a, sh in a violent shootout, Thomas Terrence was captured again and brought back into prison. Now, because of everything that had happened, he was sent into solitary confinement. In solitary confinement in a small little cell, he filled himself with white supremacist literature. He read Mein Kampf, the book by Hitler, and filled his head with all sorts of, of racism and white supremacy and anti-Semitism. But as he started to read all those things, he eventually moved on into philosophy and read some of the philosophers like Socrates and Plato and other things. And eventually, he got to the Gospels. And as he started to read the Gospels, he embraced Matthew 16, verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He fell under deep conviction and God started to convict him of things that he had done in his past. The Spirit of God came upon him to bring him deep and profound conviction that one day he kneeled down in that, in that cell and he repented and he cried out to God. And he said, I need you. He said, I fell on my knees and prayed and I felt a thousand pound weight lifted from me. He came to Jesus and Jesus met him in his time of need. He repented and cried out to God for mercy. And let me tell you today, that same Jesus is here to transform our lives. People couldn't believe this transformation that happened to him. People couldn't believe that this man who was such a, a terror-filled, hate-filled, white supremacist could be saved by Jesus. J. Edgar Hoover, who was the director of the FBI at the time, he couldn't believe it. He sent the agent that was in charge of the first operation that caught uh, Thomas Terrence, he sent that agent down to see Thomas Terrence to see, is this real what has happened to this man? And do you know what happened? That agent came and saw Thomas Terrence and was shocked to see him. He saw that there was something profoundly different because of him. Thomas Terrence shared his testimony and that agent ended up giving his life to the Lord as well and being changed by the love of Jesus. Long story short, Thomas Terrence ended up uh, uh, finishing some years of his sentence, but because of different people that advocated for him, he was able to get out of, uh, of prison. He went to, to university, he got a master's degree, then he got a doctorate degree. He went on to become a co-pastor of a multi-ethnic, uh, multi-racial uh, uh, church, which was amazing in and of itself. 
After that, he ended up working for the C.S. Lewis Institute and became the president of the C.S. Lewis Institute for many years. Now for the last 50 years, he's been serving the Lord. He's a transformed life from hate-filled to grace-filled. In these days when there's so much racial tension and so much conversation going on as well, what we need to do is look to Jesus, look to his love and grace that can change and transform lives. Thomas Terrence wrote a book, Consumed by Hate, Redeemed by Love, How a Violent Klansman Became a Champion of Racial Reconciliation. Not because of anything that he could do, but because of what Jesus could do. Dear friends, Jesus makes the difference in our life. That's what Peter was talking about in this passage. He wanted to exalt Jesus, exalt the sacrifice of Jesus, exalt what Jesus has done to be able to say, we can live a holy life, we can live a transformed life, we can live a life distinct and set apart by love because of what Jesus does for us. As we sing this song, yet not I, but through Christ in me, let's surrender to God. Let's ask the Lord and tell the Lord, Lord, there's nothing good in me. Lord, I need your help. Lord, let Christ fill me. Let the sacrifice of Jesus be the most important thing that I look to and that I run to. And as I ask him for help, let it not be me, but let it be Jesus in me. Let others see that transformed life and run to you. That's the testimony of Thomas Trance and how he lived for the glory of God, even till today. Let's surrender to the Lord. Let's worship the Lord through this song. God bless you.